Sinterklaas. Name? Père Noël. Babo Natale. Père's Nicole. Topo Gijo. Swingers, oh, the jungle VIP. I've reached the top and had to stop, and that's what's bothering me. I want to be a man, man, cop, and stroll right ah. into town. Humbug! And be just Hello and welcome, you're listening to Mouse Madness, podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we're your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. All right, Kyle, we're back. We're deep, deep into the holiday season, and we are deep, deep into our best Disney holiday movie bracket. We've still got some heavy hitters on the board. We do. After uh, a Titan-like Nightmare Before Christmas falling, we still have some heavy hitters that we didn't even get to talk about in the first episode. So first and foremost, I'm excited to actually dive into a lot of these movies that we have yet to do so. Uh, And to help us do that is our guest host returning for part two. It's Macaulay. Macaulay, welcome back to Mouse Madness. Hello. Thank you. I'm excited to find out who is the winner of the Disney holiday movie. After sitting on our choices for a little bit, about a week, uh, has any of the choices we made uh, sat not so well with you after after they've made them? Uh, or are you pretty happy with where we've been? I'm pretty happy. I think that the, uh, the competition between Babes in Toyland and uh, Beauty and the Beast and Chanted Christmas uh, just based on the messaging of Babes in Toyland is a little sour in my mouth. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens when it goes up against the Santa Claus 3. Well, before we get there, we got to talk spoonfuls of sugar. Kyle, what is in your cup today? I have a uh, holiday beer in my cup this week. Uh, this is a seasonal favorite of mine. I tend to get every single uh, holiday season. It is uh, from Anchor Steam, and they just call it a special ale because every holiday season they switch up the recipe a little bit. So it, it's very spice-filled uh, type of beer, very dark, um, and keeps me very warm <laughs> during during the winter months. And I love it. It's it's the holidays in a glass for me. So this is definitely what I should be sipping on to crown the best holiday movie. Chris, what you got? I have another uh, Tastes of Home with me this week. It is a cut water tiki rum Mai Tai in a can. Ooh. And uh, it uses it uses Bally High rum. So if you want to talk about another old-timey, super outdated cultural and gender <laughs> depiction musical, look no further than <laughs> South Pacific, where there's a song called Bally High. <laughs> And I've actually never tasted this before, so I'm going to give us a little taste test right now. That was much stronger than I thought it was going to be for coming out of a can. Oh, my God. There there was quite the moment of shock on your face as you took that sip. 12.5% alcohol by volume. So pretty good. Pretty good. There you go. Macaulay, what do you got today? (laughs) 
Um, I decided to lean into the Christmas flavors and I decided to make a uh, an espresso martini, a peppermint oh. espresso martini. Dang. Cheers to that. So there we go. Yeah. Okay, well, it's the holiday season. And one of the best parts about the holiday season is gift giving. And with that, we have a new installment of Shop Disney Roulette. I feel like we need a, its own theme song at this point. This is yeah. the third installment. We need to get a little uh, Shop Disney Roulette theme in there. A little jingle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Any musicians out there, record one. I'm so incredibly stoked for this one. This is one that we conceived like very early on when we were just kind of starting to talk about the idea of Shop Disney Roulette. And we decided to go with find each other the most ridiculous Disney ornament on the internet and send it to one another. So we both got pretty small packages with us here. And uh, Macaulay is going to be our Shop Disney Roulette judge, judging the more <laughs> ridiculous. Okay, so Kyle's is falling apart, it looks like here. Oh. oh. <laughs> well, well, I pre-opened mine to so that it's easy access to, to the reveal. Um, but yeah, it was packaged precariously and i've torn that thing up <laughs> well kyle i think you opened first last time so i'm gonna go ahead and open first this time just to remind everyone kyle is a two-time shop disney roulette champion and i have zero wins so um <laughs> let's see what let's see what kyle's got for me this time going for the three pete it comes in a black bubble wrapped envelope uh i'm using scissors to make this process a lot easier for me Hope I'm not damaging it by opening it this way. Okay, it's wrapped in a bunch of, looks like paper. Feels pretty soft. It feels plush. Feels plush. So we uh, we ordered these pretty far in advance knowing that the, the mail system was going to be pretty slammed. So this is very much a reveal for me too because I forget which one I got, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. Oh my God. Oh, this is like ugly and dirty. I don't want to touch this. I remember. This. I remember now. I remember now. All right. So <laughs> this is a Goofy holding a peppermint stick, but look at his eyeballs. <laughs> oh, That's oh. why I got it. <laughs> he, his eyeballs are looking in two completely different directions. Um. Okay, he's it's a full candy cane. He's holding a full candy cane. Uh, he's got a little felt vest on. Um, he's actually not plush. Um, he just kind of has like a felt like texture to him. Um, his skin is like this weird like peachy color that is not normal for Goofy. Also, his hat, uh, all of his clothes are the wrong color. <laughs> yes. Um, and so he's gonna he's gonna hang like this. <laughs> <laughs> off the tree um he's got this kind of like weird smirk mm -hmm. on one side of his of his face but like not on the other side it's like flat in here and then it like smirks up on one side he he literally looks like a goof just like a, a goof in his purest essence yeah um this is this is like in the same vein as the donald hat it's pretty it's pretty wacky <laughs> and scary at the same time I can't wait to put this near the top of my tree. <laughs> yeah, year after year. All right, so we have the first 
submission into shop Disney roulette, weird, goofy, uh, with his eyes looking different directions. What I have in my hand is a, uh, square cardboard box, uh, and it feels pretty light. So I, it's, it's not going to weigh down the branches of my tree. Uh, I, I will go ahead and open this thing up. It's wrapped in my favorite, uh, shop Disney roulette, uh, gift uh packaging which is just coupons from the local store (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh Uh, i actually love this (laughs) okay so what this is is uh this is an a a flubber ornament is exactly what this is this is the flubber the green (laughs) substance uh from the uh what, what was the original one called absent-minded professor from the absent-minded professor but this uh this is from flubber the movie with robin williams uh it's a little green guy he has he's standing on a vhs case of the movie flubber he's got some sunglasses on wow uh he looks like he's dancing and he's on a like a turntable and it appears that i can do something which i think so it looks like there's hooks like this was like a giveaway at like burger king or something because there's like it looks like there's hooks where you can attach it to other vhs sets (laughs) and there's wheels there's a wheel on the bottom of this which makes me think that when i roll it flubber is gonna spin around and that's exactly what happens he where can i do this he goes ahead and he's spinning he's spinning oh he's spinning he's spinning that is incredible so this is definitely is amazing i'm very excited for flubber to hang from my tree from here on out and it is so bizarre and so specific (laughs) it's just why also i want to say that this initially wasn't an ornament but that they somebody created into an ornament chris because the screw is like it looks like somebody put that in oh it's just oddly placed and then the string for the ornament can become detached. I can just like take it off. <laughs> so, All right. You could take it off and just put it in your room year round. It doesn't have to just be on your Christmas tree. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Macaulay, you have the honor of choosing which of these ornaments is the weirdest. We have Goofy's wacky eyes versus uh, a dancing flubber on a VHS case case as as weird as the goofy's eyes in different directions uh ornament is i have to give it to flubber i mean come on that's (laughs) incredible i'm sorry kyle if you don't get three for three but i mean that is just a special special ornament there (laughs) it's extremely special so ladies and gentlemen chris (laughs) bowersox has entered the shop disney roulette hall of fame raise the banner Chris is in it. Let's go, baby. You know, I feel like (laughs) that was just some luck for me because I had no idea it had all of those different, like, contraptions on it. (laughs) I thought it was just, like, Flubber surfing on a VHS box. Um, 
No. Sometimes, you know, there's just little secrets in your Shop Disney purchase. Oh, my goodness. That's so good. <laughs> so good. So, so good. It's a flubber Christmas. All right. Let's go ahead and hop into the weirdness that is this holiday movie discussion. We'll remind everybody where we're at, which is the Elite Eight. So on one side of the bracket, we have number one, the Santa Claus facing off versus the number eight, the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. Down a little bit, we have the number four, Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas versus number 12, Winnie the Pooh, A Very Merry Pooh Year. Across the bracket, we have the number two, The Muppet Christmas Carol versus number seven, Noel. And to round out our Elite Eight, we have the number 14 seed, The Santa Claus 3 versus number 11, Babes in Toyland. Chris, let's go ahead and hop right into it. Let's talk about this first matchup, which is the Santa Claus versus the Nutcracker in the Four Realms. Last episode, I chose to not pass on uh, Nutcracker in the Four Realms. Also, I was just looking at my notes and came back to the Zoom screen, and Goofy is pleasantly here greeting me as I returned. So thank you for that. (laughs) Oh, man. So I didn't pass on uh, Nutcracker in the Four Realms, and we didn't get to talk about the Santa Claus. So let's talk about it. Uh, for a holiday movie, like this is this movie has such a strong storyline, and is one of the few in this where it felt like everything was taken seriously. Like everyone wanted to make a good movie, um, from the actors to just the dialogue and and um, the script itself, it was just very well done and thought out from point A to B, unlike Nutcracker in the Four Realms. Um, This was like current day, Tim Allen has been canceled and he's not that great of a person, but Tim Allen in his peak comedy is very good. Uh, Every interaction that he has with Neil the mom's uh his ex-wife's new boyfriend fiance husband uh is gold from this movie the second movie and the third movie like every interaction where scott calvin is putting down neil for being a therapist is so funny to me um he just has so many different quips about like him getting paid to like listen to people and like uh neil gave advice and he's like people pay for this my favorite is neil's head comes to a point (laughs) i don't really know what that means but it's just funny he was just uh it's it's so good so tim allen kills santa by knocking him off the roof scaring him off the roof and uh not it's only addressed once that like uh, somebody has died like and it's Charlie and Charlie says you killed Santa, and Tim says like no I didn't or whatever. Uh, but then after that, no, like even the elves aren't like yo, like how'd you kill him? Like that seems kind of dark that they're just like all right, well we got a new one because the other one like died somehow. <laughs> it's normal. It's normal, I guess up there. Santa churn, Santa churn, and they're like the timelines of Santas as we like go on in this series especially in the third one with like the snow globes and every santa has a snow globe it's just interesting uh like the the canon that is santa clauses in this in this realm but we're talking about the first movie i liked how uh scott calvin's boss in this returns as father time and all of the other movies uh it was just kind of like 
a a fun nod whether they did it on purpose or not to have him continue on through the movies and he's great here he's very harsh (laughs) when scott shows back up to work to the meeting and he's like scott your weight (laughs) like imagine walking into a meeting and your that's the first thing your boss says to you (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh his transformation into like acceptance that he's santa claus and like as he's becoming santa claus is is super fun uh when he visits the doctor about like his weight gain uh the the one thing that replays in my mind from like watching vhs's of disney movies growing up is this santa claus trailer had the moment where he goes uh does this look like a little water weight to you (laughs) that that lives rent free in my brain forever (laughs) like i just that and the ho ho jijo like both of those live (laughs) rent free in my mind yeah i i just it's just a really like heart warming family movie with like a lot of great adult comedy pieces to it with Tim Allen and I I enjoyed that because you can only watch so much of like the family Christmas movies before you're just or holiday movies before you're just like I've seen them all and they all have these tropes this one kind of put it on its head it's it's not it's a wonderful life it's not it's a Christmas carol this is like a different type of holiday story and with a, a storyline that's very unique, where does Santa come from? Is Santa f- the same person always is a role? And they like define that. And now that's just like, it feels like that's just what it is now. Like Disney established what it is to be Santa. And, uh, you know, it's it's awesome. Um, obviously, the play on words with Claus sets them up for the sequels uh all you have to do is just add a new role and you can make a new (laughs) santa claus movie and call it the santa claus and i just i don't know this this is just such a heavy hitting holiday movie it's kind of difficult for me to poke a ton of holes in it because i just thoroughly enjoy every portion of it his him existing in real life he's at the soccer game and like the kids start lining up and the little girl taps him on the shoulder and says what she wants for christmas that's also like an iconic moment of the santa claus right like it's very much what we that scene him in the doctor's office him at the north pole for the first time we meet bernard the flying elves is always uh a portion of the movie that I forget about <laughs> every single time. I'm like, oh, that's right. There's like CIA elves and they have jetpacks and they come in to break Santa out of jail. And don't they have like laser tinsel that can like cut, cut through bars mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. that? Yeah. yeah. And like the door <laughs> opens and the cop, the cop that's at the desk is like looking there and the door just closes and you don't see anybody because they're just these little kid elves. And it's everything is just not over the top as it turns into later on not over the top like a lot of the holiday movies are so it's really digestible for anyone who's like maybe not huge into like holiday movie aesthetics can really enjoy this just very solid film and for all of those reasons it's moving on past nutcracker in the four realms for me <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's true it is just a good movie i watch the santa claus year round like that is not even me kind of like 
embellishing how good this movie is. Like, it's just, just a solid story. Like, good characters, good relationships. Nutcracker in the Four Realms narrowly made it through last episode. Macaulay, you're the Nutcracker expert. How close does this movie get to, like, the actual Nutcracker? I mean, there are definitely moments in the beginning. Um, you know, Clara receiving, uh, she receives a gift that is a Nutcracker. And in this, um, Drusselmeyer, who is played by Morgan Freeman, has all the kids go on this big scavenger hunt, which also, like, is he buying gifts for, like, all these kids in the town? Like, wow, he's really yeah, generous. For real. Um, he also has a lot of string. <laughs> Yeah, have a lot of strength. <laughs> okay, that looks really fun though. Like if I was a little kid, that would be sick. Totally. Yeah. I would I would love to do that too. Um I think that she uh, you know, in in the ballet, she does go into this like magical land where there's like the rat king and all those characters. Yeah. But um, you know, the there is Mother Ginger, like the Helen Mirren character. I feel like they just really embellished it. Like they just really made it like how can we make this more of a storyline than the ballet and i feel like they almost should have just made the ballet version of the movie um instead of forcing it and with santa claus like i love a movie that is a kids movie that has moments for adults Mm -hmm. um one that was missing from this list kyle that you also mentioned is prep and landing which i think has a lot of really fun little easter eggs of you know lines that adults will understand that the kids won't Um, and Santa Claus does this too. And it's just enjoyable for all ages. And it's kind of like, it's going to be Santa Claus, Nutcracker is not going to, not going to go. Yeah. I mean, I guess there are some okay things. Like I liked mouse rinks, the little mouse that was running around. I thought he was kind of funny. I know Kyle hates little guys. I mostly hate the little guys too, but like in this movie that was just mostly so boring, like I got a kick out of just like the tiny little mouse rinks moments. Last episode, you said you didn't take notes on this one because you wanted to like be paying attention to it all the time. I did the same thing. And then like, I was like, shoot, I hardly remember what that movie was about (laughs) at all. Like it was so awful. The only thing that I remember well was Clara trying to scale a waterfall. Yes. um, Which is not realistic at all because rocks are slippery when they're next to waterfalls. (laughs) Um. I have fallen off of a slippery rock next to a waterfall before, and Clara is like a ninja and just like, no problem. The, uh, like I said, the Drosselmeyer string game is really fun looking, but I said this last time something that's key about a good Christmas movie is relatability. And like, if this ain't some 1% stuff, like riding in a carriage to the Christmas party yeah. and like mm-hmm. a private ballet performance and then like just getting a present from some guy yep. that you don't know. So unrelatable. Really the only redeeming factors are like you said, the music, the dance number from Misty Copeland. And at that point, you're better off just watching the real Nutcracker on YouTube. So Exactly. I'm advancing Santa Claus. No questions about it. So let's go ahead and move on to the next matchup, which is the number four Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas versus number 12 Winnie the Pooh, A Very Merry Pooh Year. So we kind of talked a little bit about some of the Once Upon a Christmas uh, vignettes last episode, but uh, let's break them down a little bit further. The first one is uh, called Christmas Every Day, 
which is based on an 1892 short story by William Dean Howells. So this is not a completely original story idea. But basically, Huey, Dewey, and Louie wish it was Christmas every day. And it is. Um, they're kind of little punks on Christmas. And they learn to like be good children on Christmas Day. That's like the lesson that they learn in that little vignette. Kyle, you referenced uh, them eating a turkey. Kind of morbid, but I got a kick out of like the the comedy with the turkey because it was like a real turkey and they were like chasing right. him around. Uh, I don't know if it was just like whoever was doing the turkey sound effects was just like nailing it. Um, I guess that's why it was funny. You mentioned last week how uh, one of them says, if I eat anymore, I'm going to need new clothes. Like, dude, you're just wearing a t-shirt. Like, you don't even have to wear pants. Like, That's the least of your problems. Uh, but the most ridiculous moment in the Christmas every day vignette is when aunt gertie oh, starts yeah, crying yeah, yeah. and she picks up huey and dewey and rubs their butts in her eyeballs to like wipe her tears we know what aunt gertie's getting for christmas pink eye oh i was gonna say aunt gertie is one of the best characters throughout this all of these vignettes because her dancing is incredible and in that she just makes the same motions the entire time i i think she's amazing yeah, I, I really like that this vignette kind of like captures the dynamic that a lot of families might have on Christmas Day. So um, Huey, Dewey, and Louie don't always play for me, but I enjoyed this one. I really did. The middle vignette in Once Upon a Christmas is the goofs doing kind of a goofy movie thing. Um, this one I don't really enjoy as much. Uh, I kind of talked about last episode how I don't, really have a great relationship with Santa. I wasn't like sitting in my bedroom waiting for Santa to come. I was kind of afraid of him. So this little short where like Goofy is trying to get Max to keep believing in Santa Claus, but then Max finds out Goofy's playing Santa. So Goofy stops believing in Santa. So Max dresses as Santa to try to get Goofy to believe in Santa. Like it's all just Stuff I don't really care about. Yeah. Um, there is a little, like, classic, goofy, like, not really a chase sequence, but I don't know what you'd call it. It's just, like, him on a crazy, like, adventure through a shopping mall where he's damaging a lot of things. Swinging from light fixtures and stuff. <laughs> he should have died a number of times in this show. <laughs> he, he fell down a chimney. He got electrocuted. He had his whole head puncture the roof of a mail truck. Like, homeboy, like, several vertebrae have been fractured. Like, you, you no longer have life force in your body. Also, he was responsible for the death of a photographer guy getting crushed by a giant ornament at the mall. There was, like, a group of little dogs, like, watching him, and they just, like, bah, boom, dead. That's right. And then you've got the Mickey Mouse vignette, which is my favorite of the three. It's based on O. Henry's Gift of the Magi, which is a short story that is about sacrificial gift giving. Basically saying that what you give is more important than what you get, which is like really important for especially kids to remember on Christmas who are often like so hyped on getting their Nintendo 64 or their PS5 or whatever. So here we have um, blue collar Mickey and Minnie who live in a super dumpy apartment. Also, we got Figaro. Yeah. What's up, Figaro? What up, Figaro? Who just like pops in being an elite cat. Like about Minnie is because she works at the Mortimer's department store, which is a reference to Mickey's original like name. 
but her house is like terrible and she can't keep up with the bills. So like, where is all her money going? That's my question. She's living paycheck yeah. to paycheck. She, she needs a move into a different city with a lower cost of living <laughs> is what I think. There's some great commentary in this vignette with like, financing and like consumer debt culture with the Christmas tree lot. And like Pete is trying to like sell this poor family on like installments for the Christmas mm -hmm. tree. It's so yeah. good. Weird. Like issues with some continuity on that Christmas tree lot. When Mickey gets tipped like a sack of cash. No, it's bills. This old lady puts like a stack of bills in Mickey's hands and then like it cuts and he's got like a sack of coins. And it's like, okay, <laughs> Did you get coins or did you get bills? And then like Pete snatches the coin sack away from him and pours it out and it's bills again. And you're like, okay, we got bills. <laughs> and then Pete like puts it in his pocket and he starts walking away and it's like change jingling sounds when he's walking. I'm like, okay, did he get like two bucks in change or like $300? Right. Oh my God. I didn't so even confusing. notice that. That's so funny. I didn't either. So here's another like weird Christmas trope, fruitcakes. This is something that is like common in lots of Christmas media is like the fruitcake gag. I don't get it. Like I've never gotten a fruitcake. I've never eaten a fruitcake before. Me either. Same, I haven't. I don't know if it was just like a 90s thing where like everyone agreed to make fruitcake jokes. I don't know. It's always like really awkward for me when it comes up. I'm like, eh, fruitcake. Okay, that's funny. <laughs> At the very end, though, like, it's supposed to be this cute moment where, like, Mickey and Minnie both realize they don't need things. They'd rather just, like, have each other because they both pawned off, like, the possessions that they need to use the possessions that they got from each other. I'm over here being like, you guys are idiots and you have a <laughs> communication problem in your relationship. Like, why don't you just be like, Hey, Mickey, like, you know, I can't really afford a lot for Christmas this year. You know what? Me neither. No problem. Let's just agree to, like, cook each other dinner. And that's our <laughs> Christmas gift. Okay. Problem solved. You would still have a harmonica and a pocket watch. Right. Yeah, but, like, they were trying to be, like, you know, they were trying to give nice gifts for each other. I think it was really sweet. Communication. You're not supposed to tell the person what you're getting them for Christmas before you get it for them. Oh, sure. But you can at least be like, hey, I'm having trouble paying my bills and I have a final notice on my rent. Like, I'm in a pretty terrible spot right now. Like, it's okay to talk about it. You know, Mickey and Minnie have been together for like 50 years. You think that they would like have had the money discussion by now? At this point, yeah. Why, why are they true, dropping the all this money on those gifts like they should definitely have a set standard as to like this is what we do every christmas unless it's like just go big and they've done that for the last 50 christmases in which case they really <laughs> need to reorganize how they financially support each other because that's not it well yeah if they're going big every year then that makes sense that they're having trouble paying their <laughs> yeah. bills and living in a, an apartment every but christmas they don't have they don't have anything so unless they're just like Planning trips to Disney World and like staying in DVC properties. I don't know where their money is going and like what Christmas presents do they have? I don't. I don't see any. So, I thoroughly enjoy Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas, even though the Goofy segment sags a little bit. Uh, I like the first one and the third one, and I had never seen this before researching this bracket, and I absolutely will watch this again every Christmas. Wasn't my like absolute favorite wasn't blown away but i thought it was cute thought it was quaint 
there was no Santa at all in it. And I thought it did a really good job just kind of like capturing like the authentic person to person qualities of the holiday season. So that's why I'm advancing it over very merry poo year. Yeah, I these are two very similarly structured films. Obviously, they're just a couple of vignettes uh, patched together. One on the Winnie the Pooh side is like a, a past special matched with another newer special. Um, and one of those is really just centered around not even like really Christmas or the holidays. It's about like New Year's. Um, hence a, a very merry poo year. I had a poo year this year. Yeah, we all had a poo year. 2020 was a poo year. <laughs> Uh, yeah so i think that like i have this weird relationship with winnie the pooh and like that that film family because i remember growing up and watching whatever version of the series was on television in the 90s uh and then i also remember watching the the uh the adventures of winnie the pooh on vhs but i don't like remember any important plot points or important episodes or like even really all of like besides the main like characters like I don't know Kanga's personality and I don't know Rue's personality and like only because we talked best Disney birds do I know Al's personality um because he's a he's a fake and a fraud liar Uh, he's a liar and just gets them in trouble but like at the same time i have like this warmth that surrounds winnie the pooh and like how approachable that character feels and and just like cute that family of characters are and uh it's funny that last episode you brought up like when did christopher robin turn british and like the the stories are british so that makes sense like the original text is is british but then also in the live action Christopher Robin movie, it all takes place in Britain. Uh, and so I was always just, I like, I never thought about it until you brought it up because like the most recent Winnie the Pooh thing I saw before this was the Christopher Robin movie. And like, that is like Ewan McGregor being British. So like, I don't know. Um, but it's interesting that you caught that. And Honestly, I wouldn't know because, like I said, I'm not familiar with these characters like I am the, like, Fab Five family over on the other side of the bracket. And I think that, like, their storylines were much more digestible and enjoyable than Winnie the Pooh's storylines. And, like, having to deal with, like, Winnie as this, like, brainless buffoon who, like, doesn't think forward think at all only reacts and then has to deal with the consequences feels like that's probably the premise of almost everything we see Winnie the Pooh you know (laughs) like that's probably about it like Winnie the Pooh is just like a a dumb bear and messes up and then the gang has to figure out how to get themselves out of that that hole Uh, and in one instance they literally end up in a hole (laughs) and Piglet cannot not one of the greatest scenes ever created. Uh, so I'm with you, Chris. I'm going to move on uh, uh, Mickey here only because I do. I, those stories are great. 
the nephew. I love Huey doing Louie in this one. The next one in Twice Upon a Christmas, which is no longer here, that's just chaos. And they just wanted them to be troublemakers. But this was them like witnessing a Christmas miracle and then having to deal with the consequences, which is a much better thing than like them going to the North Pole. And it's just like, ugh, I've seen enough of the North Pole in this bracket. Uh, yeah, so I'm with you, Macaulay. Uh, any hard feelings now that Winnie the Pooh is gone? No, 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 no. I think that you guys are right. Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas um, is the one for me. And I think that each of them have a really great message that, you know, as a kid, when you watch this, because I have this on VHS, it is downstairs in my family room. Um, so I like, I remember watching this. I remember like, you know, watching the lesson of, of you know, I wish every day was Christmas. I wish that uh, for, for uh, Goofy teaching his son that Santa does exist, you know, those are all lessons that are really endearing and sweet and definitely will play to the audiences. And one line that was in the Huey, Dewey and Louie one is uh, someone said, it's the same thing day in and day out. And I feel like we all feel that in quarantine <laughs> yes. and with COVID. So I was like, when he said that, I was like, done. Yep, absolutely. Um, so yeah, what's about a business? Moves on. It's a great point. We literally are living the nephew's lives right now. All right. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about the next Elite Eight matchup. It is the number two, The Muppet Christmas Carol versus number seven, Noel. Uh, as I said, not a fan of Noel. Uh, everything felt a little too forced for me. It felt like they didn't really utilize the actor's uh, abilities in this film. Um, and also like an issue that I have with a lot of movies when they try to integrate like current trends is that that's gonna instantly seem so freaking lame later on with how fast technology is moving forward you know like at least in the santa claus like scott calvin's like a toy maker but we don't go super in depth into like that specific toy that came out in 1994 is like what he's working on so it's you can still transfer that concept to like current day but like billy eichner's character like relying on like drone deliveries and being very amazon-esque and like tech bro-esque and uh anna kendrick's character noel constantly referring to like ipads and like i hate that kind of stuff like it just doesn't work for me so like not only was i kind of like sh she feels like she's forcing it those tidbits i was like ah you're losing me so quickly even like the like yoga trend right like which isn't really necessarily a trend but like how hyped like this yoga retreat concept was and like if like yoga has existed forever and will continue to exist forever but there's definitely been like this blip of you know folks getting into yoga going on to retreats as like a, a societal thing that we're all doing baseball teams host yoga days at the ballpark now like it's a it's like a thing uh i don't think that we're gonna see that as ironic or as funny in a few years you know so movies that date themselves in that way even movies that like involve social media networks or like i'll be home uh for christmas right like the fact that like he calls from a payphone and and, and ali calls her voicemail to hear her like all of that stuff 
we look back on it and it's those plot points would be non-existent in today's world so we can't take it necessarily as seriously or you know even though i freaking love that movie i don't like (laughs) noel uh and noel's up against muppet christmas carol which is peak muppets for me very prime muppets very self-aware the jokes are ridiculous ridiculous in a muppet way Uh, i don't feel like they tried to jam in too much to never leave uh like the story itself because they they could go off on tangents if they wanted to and they didn't really the like the way that they incorporated the muppets uh uh, Fozzie Bear being the the um what was it Fezzy Fezzy way what was the original Fezzy way yeah. yeah having Fozzie was just the obvious plug there and so when it shows up you're like ah this is this is great play on that name Fozzie Bear we get Fozzie's mom is in there uh I don't it's just the the Muppets are so endearing and they weren't too over the top like they have become in some of the more recent movies so. This is just so enjoyable. It's a digestible Christmas carol. Chris loves his dark cautionary tale Christmas carols. Uh, I don't need to be any more sad than I am in 2020. So the Muppets uh, feeding me a a watered down version is exactly what I enjoyed and needed. So for all of that, Muppets is moving on past Noel for me. So I hinted last week that I enjoyed Noel. I had not seen it at all. Didn't watch it last year. Skipped over it. I traditionally don't like Anna Kendrick. Don't really like her in this either. Bill Hader is kind of hit or miss for me. Billy Eichner, I tend to not like. But uh, I actually really liked Billy Eichner in this. And I really liked the Gabe tech bro humor, which is... So surprising because I really hate like referential humor like that, but I don't know. Maybe it was just like where I watched it in in like the order of me watching all these movies. It was kind of like a a breath of fresh air, like a modern kind of like just like getting some modern jokes. The iPad thing sure. was funny to me the first hmm. three times. There's a rule of third in comedy, right? Like. Yeah, I didn't see it coming with the little girl who signs to Noel that like she wants a new <laughs> job for her mom. Oh, and an iPad. Like, okay, that was right. funny. Like the gag's done, and then they like do it two more times. I'm like, yeah, you went too far. You too many. The one moment that I will give Anna Kendrick credit for for making funny was the yoga pant discussion in the grocery store. Where she yeah, kept saying yeah. like yogurt pants, and Lily was like yoga pants, like, yogurt. <laughs> I love that like mispronunciation comedy is like exactly up my alley, and I think I brought that up. So like I ate that portion up, but literally nothing. That else. was the moment I opened up my notes and wrote, "I don't like Anna Kendrick as a comedic <laughs> actress." <laughs> and like, oh, I love, oh man, I would love for us. I'm so sad that uh, the world shut down because I would love to do uh, like a commentarium and have us watch a movie together and just as it goes on, point things out because we'd have two completely different experiences. Well, like you brought it up last episode, it's trying to be elf and like. The fish out of water humor is done so much better by Will Ferrell. And it's not necessarily because he's like a better actor. It's just, it's delivered in a much more subtle way. And like, you know, 
in Noel when they have those moments, like when she sees the box of chocolates or whatever that say like to Santa, you know, she like stops the whole scene and there's like everyone in the store is looking at her and like, there's no music and just like, it's laid on really, really thick. Um, and you look at the Will Ferrells and like the Molly Shannons who can, they could do that awkward, like cringy humor in a way that feels realistic and is just better, you know? So none of Anna Kendrick's comedy was working for me, but like I was saying, the cousin Gabe tech bro humor was working for me for now. I agree with what you're saying about how it might not age well, but, uh, I don't know. I guess like living in the city and just like, I mean, that's kind of unfair argument because you live in the tech capital of the entire world. But um, <laughs> I was just like, this is so accurate. It's crazy. I agree with what you're saying about the yoga stuff. Um, like, why is it such a huge plot point? It's kind of like yeah. a little bit uncomfortable. Also, like, <laughs> how did Nick Kringle learn yoga become a licensed yoga teacher, buy a yoga studio with no money, and build a clientele to host a <laughs> yoga class in, like, one weekend. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. I don't get it. The, the like, timeline of this movie, I got really confused. Uh, one other thing I really did not like about it was all of the product placements and all of the mentions, like, took me out of the story so much. I don't know if they got money from every single one of these. I don't think they did. I think they were trying to make it like a comedy thing. Be like, oh my God, I know what that is. Oh, what? Nike. I know Nike. That's so funny. All of the uh, product money went into the production of Snow Cone. <laughs> they spent their entire budget on animating the stupid baby reindeer. So I wrote down like all of the references I could remember. We got Nike, Taco Bell, Tommy Hilfiger, Apple, Barnes & Noble, Pete's Coffee, Amazon, Snapchat, Supercuts, Petco, Best Buy, My Little Pony, Suns, Cardinals, D-backs, Madden, Nintendo Switch, and Chase Field. That's like a lot of things to that's reference. That's crazy. In Especially if you're going to talk about Christmas stuff. I mean, like, that's like literally the example of being like the corporations of Christmas. Like you must have all of these products placed in your movie. Like that's kind of sad. Like, if you pay attention to it and, like, be listening for it, it's almost every two minutes a, a n different, like, contemporary real-world reference comes out of someone's mouth. It's, like, so annoying. Um, okay, so what did I actually like about this movie? Uh, something that is a Christmas theme that I really enjoy is finding the spirit of Christmas in a really unexpected place. And for Noel, it's the city of Phoenix, a place that's really, really hot and warm. And, you know, when you close your eyes and you think about Christmas, you think about the East or the Midwest or the mountains where it's snowing and cozy and there's a fire. You don't really think about like cactuses and flat desert dirt. But I mean, just like, Anywhere else, they celebrate Christmas in Phoenix. And so I like that this movie uses that location as like kind of its its setting that's not the North Pole. Um, and then that's kind of like amplified by the guy. I can't remember his name. Um, yeah, he's kind go. of like, yeah, he's kind of like bitter about his divorce and like uh, his ex-wife remarrying or whatever. 
uh, and, and kind of like the spirit of Christmas is found in him as well. One thing I fundamentally disagree with is the Santa lore that's present in Noel. That like, it's like a monarchy where like the Santa hat is handed off to like the oldest son. In my head, Santa is a mythical asexual being who like doesn't bear children and the children of the world are his metaphorical children and he cannot die. That's like my Santa, unless he's pushed off a roof. Which, like, that <laughs> that lore makes so much more sense to me than, like, <laughs> Bill Hader becomes Santa because he's the oldest son. Like, I'm just like, I don't think I like that. I don't, I don't like the, like, yeah. Santa as, like, a royal family type deal. But I do like the depiction of the North Pole in Noel. I like the, like, ice skating from place to place. That's, like, a world I want to live in yeah. because I love me some ice skating. <laughs> And the costumes in this movie, I thought, were phenomenal. Like, all of the kind of, like, casual North Pole wear was stuff that felt so realistic. And, like, stuff that, like, I might want to wear in the winter. Look at a movie like The Santa Claus and, like, their depiction of the North Pole. Everything is, like, very whimsical, very, like, enchanted and magical. Everyone's wearing, like, robes and crazy, like, elf hats. It's very, like, storybook. But uh, I like the way Noel depicts the North Pole as like a very realistic, livable type place. I'm going to be honest, the Muppet Christmas Carol is not my favorite Christmas Carol on this bracket. I liked the Jim Carrey Christmas Carol more. (laughs) If I was going to pick between the two, I would probably watch the Jim Carrey one again before I watch the Muppets one, which means I would probably have to advance Noel here because it's a movie I would go back to before I go back to the Muppets. Wow. Which means Macaulay's breaking a tie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so while I, I, I think if you buy into the Santa has to pass down uh, to his eldest son the title of Santa, I think that Noel does a great job of having more of a progressive ending. I feel like it's nice to see that, yes. you know, because Anna Kendrick's character is more of the like Christmas spirit than Bill Hader's that she uh, she gets the title of being the next Santa. Um, I definitely I definitely enjoy that. But it's Muppets. I mean, it's a Christmas Carol. It's a Muppets Christmas Carol. I feel like between the two, Kyle, you mentioned this last week too. Like it is having. Uh, I keep comparing it to Elf. I keep like while I was watching it, I was like, this is just like borrowing tropes and not really getting as far as it as elf did and elf was just such a a fun new fresh movie when it came out that every time every like moment i was like this is i'd rather watch elf i'd rather watch elf um so that being said while muppet christmas carol uh is the fun version of a christmas carol sorry chris um it's gonna be muppets for me the the greatest example of noel being elf is when noel drinks uh, the like margarita off the waitress's thing and mm-hmm. she like mm-hmm. drags yeah. on about how like oh that's nope don't don't drink that that's not good and elf when he drinks the coffee yeah. and then he's like ah, ah, like trying to brush it that yes. that those two different reactions is just like the exact reason why uh noel is trying so hard to be elf mm-hmm. but just doesn't get there for sure agreed well, we've got a one seed, two seed, and four seed in the final four so far, and let's see who meets them. We've got the number 14 seed, the Santa Claus 3 versus number 11, Babes in Toyland. Oh let's my go. goodness, what a matchup. Um, 
Okay, let's go back to talking about Babes in Toyland. I didn't really talk about it last time. Um, Kyle, you mentioned like the opening of I'll Be Home for Christmas, like taking you to another dimension and being like, yes, this is my movie. That was me when Sylvester J. Goose popped out of the curtain in Babes in Toyland. And I was like, this is so weird and bad. I'm oh. obsessed already. <laughs> like this is this is my kind Mwah. of movie. You talk about practical <laughs> gag work. So that's the fact that they made that prop hand for Mother Goose to like hold so that oh it's just love it so much i could not take my eyes off of him the entire movie and it never like looked bad like it always just looked good it was crazy and yeah you talked about that last episode like the practical effects are so good like all of the water stuff when uh gonzorgo and rodrigo are like trying to like read the letter and there's like water popping out of their like (laughs) jackets and stuff the puddle they're standing in gets bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper (laughs) so speaking of practical effects real actual flames on the candle that jackie nimble jumps over in the opening dance number um this dude actually lights himself on fire and then like these little kids put it out with a bucket and he starts running away and he was still on fire I (laughs) I i was like yo get him get him um that number was so fun like that movie looks like it was so fun to work on just like so many people the costuming and just it was just kind of like a classic christmas variety show you know one thing that like i was blown away by we talked about a teen beach movie being sort of a reference to Annette Funicello, who was like a beach girl in a lot of those movies. I did not realize how much young Annette Funicello looks like Maya Mitchell until I saw this movie. I was like, oh my it's God. Crazy. Spin yep, image. It's crazy. Also, the, so the, like, crazy. The, uh, the bad guy in Teen Beach movie was so similar to the bad guy in this one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely some comparisons. So let's talk about Barnaby Barnacle, uh, <laughs> who is played by Ray Bolger, a.k.a. Scarecrow from Wizard of Oz. Yep. This character's icky. Like, we know it. He's icky. He's got, like, really, really, like, incredibly sexist, terrible intentions. But his dancing's really fun to watch. Um, <laughs> when he's, do- he's doing, like, a dance-off between himself and, like, a fountain that like does like little dance moves and then like he like does like a dance move back to it. I could sit and watch that little like five minute uh, dance number like for every Christmas until the end of time. (laughs) Also back to Gonzorgo and Rodrigo, just incredible physical comedy. Also, they're basically Honest John and Gideon, but in live action form. Yes, yes, exactly. They hit a guy with a mallet. One of them talks, one of them doesn't talk. One of them's the smart one. One of them's a dumb one. But my favorite moment is the lollipop gag when like uh Rodrigo goes to like hand off the lollipop to the little kid, but he like keeps it and then Gonzorgo like slaps it out of his hand. It is like the perfect slap. And like there's just like a small gap of space between the actors, and like you can see the lollipop go like straight back. Like he could have easily just like mishit it and it like just kind of like flops onto the ground, but it was like a like a tennis stroke, just like forehand, boom. 
hands. <laughs> and it was still laying there. Like when they were doing the little thing where they're like reading the note, the lollipop's just on the ground still. Um, yeah. Shout out to the lollipop. <laughs> so yes, I had an incredibly fun time with the first hour of this movie <laughs> and did not have a very fun time with the second hour of this movie because it got boring as F. The little kid siblings like wander into this like forest of no return or whatever. And by the way, it still has not referenced Christmas once <laughs> during the whole movie. So I'm like waiting, waiting for the Christmas thing. They meet some trees. They meet some like crazy talking trees. <laughs> uh, why does one of them have a tongue and none of the other ones have a tongue? <laughs> Super distracting. Uh, and they're the ones who sing the toy land, toy land, and yeah. a girl and boy. Like the song everyone knows. They make it to Willy Wonka's factory or Edwin's factory or whatever you want to call it. By the way, this movie came out 10 years before Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh, wow. So I want to say Willy Wonka might have like borrowed some of the like uh, design aesthetics of like the invention thing. Or maybe it was just like the machine age that they were living in and everyone was really into like inventions and stuff. By the way, one of my favorite parts of the movie is when the toy making machine starts yelling help and it's like text <laughs> on the screen. It's me. Help. Help. <laughs> All of the sets in that scene in particular, but like throughout the whole movie, really reminded me of Fantasyland in the parks, particularly like the Matterhorn area. It's very like Bavarian storybook. A lot of the wood carving and like the details painted on the wood was like super fantasy land. So I thought that was pretty cool. And speaking of the parks, the whole like toy soldier sequence was engineered by X Atencio. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And like that was probably some painstaking stuff because that was like a long sequence. And it was like well done. I felt like the entire that like stop motion uh, soldier mm -hmm. march was so well done and like mesmerizing. Very impressive. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Very well done, except the fact that why are these toys shooting actual gunpowder out of them? Like, <laughs> I feel like these are kind of dangerous. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so there's a final battle between Tom and Barnaby, and Barnaby has this weapon that is like Lucius Malfoy's little silver dagger mixed with the sword of Shan Yu, where it's like a jag <laughs> it's like a jagged cane dagger thing. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> uh, and then Barnaby Barnacle gets shrunk down to size and thrown in a Christmas box. And then we never hear from him again. So I'm like, did they send Barnaby Barnacle to the little kid's house for Christmas? Gonna need a sequel. I don't know. And the movie and the movie ends and perhaps it's like most Christmassy moment when it's snowing and Tom and Mary are like decked out in some like serious Christmas wedding clothes. Dude, Tom's groom outfit. Oh, he's got like a he's got like a little white hat. <laughs> he's got a little white cape and right. he has got the tightest pants I have ever <laughs> seen on a man on his wedding day. I was like, oh, baby. He was feeling it, that's for sure. Oh, and by the way, the trees came to the wedding. The trees yeah. with and without <laughs> tongues all came to the wedding. I pointed that out too. I was like, wait a minute. The trees like caused some issues for these kids. They were like just not even gonna let them go, but they got invited to the wedding? 
They're part of the family now. So so basically, I love the first half of this movie for it being kind of like that timeless Christmas, Christmas special thing with lots of dancing, lots of singing, no like huge story. It's just kind of like a lot of stuff that's really fun to watch, I guess. Yeah. And the second half is just really boring. Santa Claus 3? Oh, my goodness. Uh man. Honestly, I can't stand time travel movies. They're difficult to pull off, and I did not have very high expectations for Santa Claus 3, but it did not pull it off very well. Um, <laughs> trigger warning for Red Sox fans. There is a rendition of New York, New York in the Santa Claus 3. <laughs> yes. Jack Frost whips it out. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple of ripoffs in this. Like, I feel like there's like a frozen thing going on. Like at the very end, like the little girl Lucy has warm hugs. She like, mm-hmm. she like hugs um, Jack Frost, and he like thaws his frozen heart. Like that's a frozen thing, right? Yeah. By the way, the parents get frozen in that movie, and the thing you are not supposed to do when someone has been frozen or has severe hypothermia is heat them up super quick because they will die. Another fun ripoff, Zootopia totally ripped off Santa Claus 3 in the let's have a pen that records yes. a character saying something incriminating and we'll reveal yes. it at the last second to solve all of the problems in the movie. Yep, exactly. Uh. <laughs> Santa Claus had like two or three great Christmas holiday themes in it. Santa Claus 2 had like one and Santa Claus 3 all aspects of it being like a good holiday movie, like having good holiday themes and lessons, gone, completely gone. It's all just like a plot-driven movie about saving Christmas. So I don't like it at all. I mean, second half of Babes in Toyland is not great, but I will take the first half of Babes in Toyland and turn it off before I watch Santa Claus 3 again. So I'm advancing Babes in Toyland. Here's what I'll give Santa Claus 3. I love Martin Short and love him in this like he's he's he took that role very seriously in a in a a second sequel that like didn't need it but he like went the distance and i just love him as that character two i love the north pole being turned into canada a lot and uh all the stupid canadian stuff that they would like turn the shops into everyone had like canada tourist like sweatshirts on that were like in the village um i just thought that was so silly and i honestly thought that was funny but like the time travel and trying to connect it back to the first movie they didn't even line up the timeline of the events that happened in the first movie correctly like they just ran through Santa Claus, like when Santa falls off the roof, the dude is still there. And then Tim is like walking around and then Santa like disappears. But in this one, like Santa falls and then immediately like evaporates as Scott Calvin's like standing over him. It's, it's not how, that's not even how it happened in the first movie. So it was like, they had this like, oh, we're going to send him back to like that first movie when he first became Santa and uh, it's going to be great, but they just didn't execute it well. Uh, even like the entire idea of them trying to like show alternate versions of uh, his ex-wife and of Charlie. Like Charlie, if unless Charlie just never changed, he was like an 
teenager in the second movie and then they displayed him as a teenager in this one like none of it worked for me at all uh but i guess martin short did because i really like him yeah the, what's difficult here is that like the messaging in babes in toyland is not <laughs> it's not good <laughs> i'm like, nodding my head so hard right there yeah it's just not like acceptable by any standard and i like i get the whole like it, it's a piece of its time it's definitely just like a period piece and like whatever but to also have it like i like can't justify myself moving it on when i'm constantly on the show preaching like doing the right thing in these movies and then like axing out like beauty and the beast uh for <laughs> what did I do? The the sidekicks for being accomplices and a kidnapping. <laughs> you know, like I I I can't I just can't move babes here. Unfortunately. I, I I'm gonna stick to that. This is a, yeah, it's a wacky pick, but I have to go Santa Claus three because of it. So Macaulay, I'm feeling I know what you're about to do, but go ahead. As I'm like nodding and like snapping over here. Uh yes, I I think that while this, while Babes in Toyland was made in 1961, 2020 is a very different landscape compared to then. Um, I think that the messaging of Mary as an object, um, her acknowledging like that women are just dumb and need to have a man to come in to help uh, with finances, you know, live her life, have a good life, et cetera, is just not what we should be projecting for women and future generations um santa claus 3 obviously has a lot of uh difficulties in it and i also love martin short and i also love ann margaret who is in bye bye birdie um so a nice throwback that she is in it uh and it's definitely like kind of it's not even like lesser two evils i just can't go with the messaging behind babes in toyland and also going back to talking about you know movies that are set around Christmas versus being Christmas movies. I'm going to go with having a movie that is really set around Christmas, Santa, the magic of the North Pole, etc. Yeah. And I don't think that uh, Babes needs to be canceled, but I think it's an important conversation to have as you watch. Yes. Agreed. All right. That brings us to our final four. The first matchup here is the number one, the Santa Claus versus number four, Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas. And uh, it's going to be the Santa Claus here. <laughs> because as I've brought up, like sitting through these multi-story packages is just can get difficult. And you brought it up, Chris, like goofy sags in the middle, that whole storyline. And there's not a moment in the Santa Claus really that sags for me or slows down um i almost want to see more of scott calvin turning into santa and having to like live in this real world you know as he's going through the changes uh so we we've talked about all of this a ton already so i don't think i need to sit on it very much longer so i'm just gonna say santa Claus is, is much better than mickey's I am happy to be exposed to Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas for the first time. It's yeah. a movie I think I am going to revisit every holiday season from now on. But I agree. Uh, Santa Claus 
much deserved trip to the finals for me. Uh, Macaulay, do you agree with that? Absolutely. I think that there's one honorable mention in the Goofy segment, just to bring up really quickly, in oh, yes. that um, when Goofy takes Max to the um, less fortunate house uh, where the people, you know, don't really have much for Christmas and they're, you know, they're kind of there to raise their spirits and, you know, bring them food and have a nice meal and things like that. I think it's really a sweet moment. Uh, but Santa Claus. <laughs> it's Santa Claus. <laughs> All right. Well, meeting the Santa Claus in the finals is the Muppet Christmas Carol because uh, <laughs> Santa Claus 3 just never stood a chance here. So, does no. anyone even want to talk about this? No. I'm good. No, not at all. I'm trying. Yeah, no. All right. So we've got our finals matchup, which is the number one seed Santa Claus versus number two seed Bubby Christmas Carol. Uh, it's Kyle, happened. We finally did it. We have a it's... one seed meeting a two seed in the finals. Oh my it's... goodness. Holy top heavy bracket, folks. Yeah, very top heavy. This is this is deserve it, I think. I think this uh you know, these two, if you don't mind, I'll go first here. The these two are I don't know iconic <laughs> so it's it especially like that version of a christmas carol i think that people forget that jim carrey's version even exists honestly if it weren't for disney plus like i probably wouldn't even remember jim carrey's uh so i think that these both are very front of mind for folks we also have uh the we also have like ABC family slash freeform to thank for that. Uh, because I think that they put these on their like 25 days of Christmas every single year. And you can see these, both of these movies a lot <laughs> throughout the month of December from, from forever. So, uh, yeah, these are two very worthy ones and twos. It's trying to pick out like, the cons right let's talk about cons of both of these to try and decipher this because we've hyped up both of them quite a bit but we haven't really talked a whole lot about the cons we talked about the the songs in muppets not the strongest for the story and the story doesn't necessarily even need songs right like it's just a telling but they try to muppify it and it it just didn't quite land. So even that like opening song felt like it dragged a bit. That first one. Um, it, and especially if it's not something that we know, I think like a big thing about Christmas music is that like, is that like we, we know these songs and they, they are Christmas or holiday songs and, and they're recognizable. So to have one that's not is, always kind of like are they trying to make another like song that's going to exist in our minds for the holiday seasons like it's not it's not working it's it's feeling a little forced on the santa claus the idea that like the the restaurant is partially bought out by this like chinese like corporation is extremely stereotypical and like is not I don't think was like a needed joke I think like that's another one of those like kind of gross things like we get not all cultures obviously celebrate Christmas so like you can go to a Denny's and and folks are going to be 
eaten because they don't celebrate, but to like highlight a very specific culture and ethnicity is so 90s and does not necessarily hold up now. Uh, I'm just glad that they didn't like go deeper into like jokes because that would have been awful. <laughs> you know, that would have been just awful. Um, as I think also like as much as I enjoy the quips that Scott gives to Neil, I think that in a world in which like we're very much more open to talking about like therapy and having therapists and, and mental health that like to try and minimize seeing a therapist or the importance of a therapist that Scott continues to harp on, uh, is not necessarily as like poignantly funny as it was then. Like I'm sure back then, like every, like definitely back then mental health wasn't taken seriously. And so like to see a therapist was ludicrous because you're paying to talk to somebody. Why don't you just talk to somebody that you, you know, when there's like, like very huge benefits to having a therapist. So that could be something as well in the Santa Claus. But I still love him roasting Neil about it. And I love Neil's sweaters. Yes. <laughs> I want all of Neil's sweaters. Um, you can also say that since I've been like knocking movies for their, their poor effects that like Santa Claus tried real hard, but like it's awful. <laughs> like the sleighs and the, the reindeer when they're flying is very very early animation computer animation where they just like replicated an object and the reindeers just move like that like their hooves just move like all in sync and it's obviously just a a, a copied algorithm that they made and it so it, they tried but it didn't work uh i'm glad that they didn't try to computer animate the reindeer when the uh, characters were interacting with them and that they were like physical animatronics which is like great um, but it does technology doesn't hold up can't necessarily really hold it against it but it doesn't quite hold up uh, so yeah I mean all that's to say is that you know these two are really great movies but what it comes down to for me is the fact that I just really, really enjoy the original story of the Santa Claus. And I, I really enjoy the comedy that lands for kids, lands for adults. Uh, it kind of establishes the Santa canon and what, who, what we think of as Santa is now kind of like established by this movie and franchise. Uh, it unfortunately spawned some pretty awful sequels, but it itself is a great standalone movie. Like, I don't know that at the end of that, you're sitting there like, man, now I really want to know what Santa's life is like at the North Pole. I think you're just really satisfied with like how this story wrapped up and how it's ended and how happy everyone seems to, to be at the end. And it's very nice and warm. Uh, so for me, I'm crowning the number one seed all the way to the end as the best holiday movie. Well, Kyle, I don't want to beat a dead horse here. The dead horse being the Muppet Christmas Carol. But uh, <laughs> like, I feel like Santa Claus has coasted so far that there are a few things that I want to say about it that I haven't said. 
Uh, You kind of briefly mentioned the title being convenient for making sequels. I think the Santa Claus is one of the greatest film titles in the history of movie making. That's great. I was probably 25 years old when I realized Santa Claus was spelled without an E. Yes, I'm Uh, with you. (laughs) I was like, I was typing into my iPhone one time and I was like, wait a second. I get it now. Oh my (laughs) God, it's so good. Um, we have not talked at all about Bernard, aka Barnaby, aka Barabbas. (laughs) The dynamic between Santa, aka Scott, and Bernard is just like so, so good. Um, you know, having the head elf not be like a magical, like sprightly, lighthearted guy and being this like super hardcore by the book guy is just awesome. Yes. Also, Santa's bedroom having a puppet show constantly going on in it. Uh, Really, they're just kind of talking about what they see in the bedroom. I mean, I don't get it. It's funny, but uh, I laugh out loud every time Scott drops his pants and the puppets are like, ah! Yes, so good. For me, like, we're talking not just like best movie, we're talking best holiday movie. And for me, the thing that makes the Santa Claus a better holiday movie is that there is something in it for everyone. The Christmas Carol, like Macaulay said, is a cautionary tale. And it's something that I think resonates with adults who like maybe become a little bit curmudgeon a little bit jaded during the year. And then Christmas is this time of like, refreshment of self-reflection of like restarting the year on a fresh note and like seeing the Christmas Carol, you can be like, okay, I can't be that person. I can't be so fixated on achievements or money or whatever. Like I need to refocus myself on the things that matter. And that's why we celebrate Christmas in December because it aligns with the winter equinox or solstice or whatever and so like the year is literally like born again and so like as an adult i feel like you get a lot out of watching christmas carol but for a child it might kind of go over your head you look at the santa claus and you've got so many things happening with so many characters you've got the wife laura and neil not believing in santa claus and kind of like rediscovering the like youthful energy of the holiday pour one out for neil's weenie whistle that he never got right (laughs) um you've got i mean even scott calvin himself like i talked about uh, like loving noel and like finding the holiday spirit in an unexpected place like scott calvin himself like is is an unexpected santa claus because he's kind of like bitter about being a single father he doesn't really love his son like just wants to be alone all this stuff So there's a lot for adults, but then you've got like Charlie himself being a main character and like him experiencing the magic of Christmas. And like he as a child is kind of having to struggle with like, oh, is there a Santa? Is there not a Santa? So like when you're talking about getting in the holiday spirit, there is no better movie on this list of 16 than the Santa Claus. So I am agreeing with you, Kyle, and I am advancing Santa Claus. I am crowning the Santa Claus as the best Disney holiday movie. Macaulay, what do you think about that? I completely agree. Um, It's the Santa Claus. I think that when you think of 
going back to the, you know, last week and talking about what is a Christmas horror holiday movie, you know, what is the magic of Christmas? What is, you know, whether it is Santa Claus or, you know, family being together or whatever it is, the Santa Claus has that message. It has the idea that like, this is what the magic of Christmas is. And as great a message as Christmas Carol is and Muppets Christmas Carol, I agree with you, Chris, that, you know, it's more for adults. It is, you know, us being, you know, millennials or whatever. Like I can watch it and be like, that's right. That's what the message of Christmas is. It's to be present. It's to be, you know, uh, with family, with friends, whatever. But the Santa Claus just has something for everyone, for every viewer. It has the fun of it. It has the fun for the kids, for the adults. And it's just really magical and is a fun viewing for the entire family. And when you're talking about a Disney holiday movie, I think that that's what this is perfectly, you know, wrapped in a bow, the package, the perfect package is the Santa Claus. And so as we do at the end of every bracket, we are here to clap it out for the Santa Claus. Chris, that was a wild ride just to get to the number one seed being crowned. Yeah, um, I thought this bracket was over before it started. Um, I mean, what are your, like, meditations on this whole, like, genre of Disney holiday? I'd love to hear both of your thoughts on it because, like, after I've done this, what I've come to is, like, Disney is not very good at making Christmas movies. No, not as of late, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely not. I mean, they, I feel like they also just haven't put a ton of energy into it, right? Like you think about Mickey's once, twice, you think of Winnie the Pooh, like these are all just vignettes that they tied together and like developed ideas that they couldn't do for an hour and a half. So they just packed everything together. So, I mean, good, I guess, like we can give our energy to other things that aren't Disney for once and, and, especially during like the holiday season, which is nice. Uh, But they do own like one of the greatest holiday movies of all time in the Santa Claus. Yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, Santa Claus is from 1994. So it's been like a minute since there's been a really great Disney Christmas movie. Um, When I think of Christmas movies, I guess I really don't think of Disney as like, you know, in those top tiers. I think of other you know, studios or whatever, uh, which is kind of crazy that Disney doesn't own this arena also. Um, But that being said, Santa Claus is definitely in the wheelhouse. It's always going to be on the watch list of Christmas movies. Honestly, like the one thing that I feel after all this is I got a fire lit under me to watch some more Marvel movies. (laughs) (laughs) And that is going to take us into 2021. So exactly. uh, Macaulay, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we had a great time with you. Thank you for watching all of these Christmas movies. We hope you had fun and got in the holiday spirit a little bit. Oh, absolutely. It was so much fun. Thank you, Chris and Kyle. Um, it really was fun, you know, getting in the holiday spirit and watching all these movies. So it was a good time. Okay, folks. Well, you know how to reach us. You've got something to say about this. You somehow, some way disagree with Santa Claus being the best Disney holiday film. 
reach out to us. You can email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on any of our social medias. We've got Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Discord. If you want to reach out to us and like want to get in on this action, want to have some co-hosting duties, some tie-breaking duties, we'd love to have you. Until next time, folks. And so as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us. God bless us, everyone. <laughs>